week on the SSPX podcast, we'll be sharing the parish mission from St. Vincent de Paul's in Kansas City, as it was delivered in 2020. Today on Good Friday, we'll be hearing from Father Michael Goldaddy on the topic of the crucifixion and death of our Lord. If you would like to hear more parish missions, reflections, conferences, as well as our Crisis in the Church series and Questions with Father series, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now we'll turn to the Friday evening conference from Father Goldaddy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful, by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant that by the gift of the same spirit, to be ever truly wise, rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of Sorrows, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, we come to our final installment of the mission, a final mystery of the five sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, the crucifixion and death of our Lord upon the cross. We adore thee, O Christ, and we praise thee, because by thy holy cross thou hast redeemed the world. The crucifixion is the center of history. The history of man is wrapped around it. This is the longed-for act of redemption in the history of man, the restoration of man's grace, which he lost with the sin of Adam. Mankind had looked forward for thousands of years to this very moment, and we have the, the benefit of speaking about it tonight. In the personal history of Christ, this is again the longed-for moment. This is why he came into the world. This is why he was born. And in the history of the sacred passion, this is also the longed-for moment. The moment where the love of God, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, can be demonstrated above all moments as he hangs from the cross and speak such words to souls to instruct them, to comfort them, to give them hope of heaven. We'll consider those words of Christ from the cross, a great sermon indeed. There's a certain becomingness in the place and time of the crucifixion of our Lord. It was suitable that Jerusalem be the place of Christ's death. This, of course, was the place chosen by God for sacrifice, the sacrifices of the temple. And as far as the time is concerned, it was the time of the Passover. So you had enormous crowds of people coming to Jerusalem at that time. 
the timing with the feasts of Passover would make the death of Christ that much more humiliating and the spread of the knowledge of the death of Christ more rapid. Christ chooses his time well, perfect for the symbolism of sacred history, perfect for the circumstances of the moment. Of course, the hour and place are his choosing. No man takes my life away from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. From the Gospel of St. Mark, when they had come to the place which is called Calvary, they gave him wine to drink mingled with myrrh, and when he had tasted, he would not drink. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Christ's desire to suffer, this we can see. They offer him a drink, a, a bitter potion, which could dull the suffering a bit, and yet he doesn't take it. He wants to suffer. He, in a sense, wants to increase his sufferings. He wants to maintain the full possession of his senses so that his senses could, could suffer. And what are the sufferings of Christ uh, during these moments? There would have been two modes of kinds of crucifixion or ways of crucifying by the Romans. One could have been that the victim was nailed to the crossbar and then the crossbar was hoisted up with a rope and fixed in place with the feet being nailed afterwards. The second method and Christian art certainly favors this method was that the victim was nailed to the full cross while it was on the ground and then it was set in place. Of course, both methods are, are painful either way. The shock of the spikes into the hands and the feet, fastening the, the extremities to the, the wood of the cross, what pain uh, that would have been. We would have had, of course, the, the shock of the cross being lowered into the ground as he's lifted up on high. And his dead weight pulling at every joint and socket. It was enough, in some cases, of crucifixion to render the victim insane. And yet, this is the hour that Christ thinks not of his own pain, but of its healing effects. And if I, if I be lifted up, will draw all things unto myself. Christ wants to touch souls at this moment, and it's very clear from his words. Christ will say a few words throughout the Passion, and every time he speaks, we want to take special notice these are words from the, the heart of God. These are, these are something very special for us to contemplate. So let us take a look at each of those words of Christ, the seven words of Christ from the cross. 
And the very first thing he says after he experiences this pain are going to be words of forgiveness. What a response our Lord gives to this cruelty. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We know that the goodness of God is infinite. The mercy of God is infinite. And God wants to forgive over and over again. 70 times 7, says our Lord, should be our forgiveness for our neighbor. I say, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that persecute and calumniate you. This is the heart of Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Theology will make a, a distinction in the will of, of God. Speaking about the antecedent will, the will that comes prior to human behavior, and then the consequent will of God, the will that follows upon human behavior. And then the consequent will of God, there is a limit to forgiveness. At some point, God will say, it's enough. Enough offense has been made. Woe to you, Chorazine and Bethsaida and Capernaum. He mentions these woes. He weeps over Jerusalem. Eventually, Jerusalem will be punished for its evil. And yet Christ wants to forgive if the subject, the offending subject, is willing to accept that forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And of course, our Lord will be the first and greatest example of that forgiveness which he preaches, the mercy which he shows. And of course, he wants us to forgive. wants us to forgive our neighbors. 70 times seven. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, says the Lord's Prayer. So we have those very first words of our Lord, the words of mercy upon his persecutors. And then the second words of our Lord, this day, Thou wilt be with me in paradise. So not only does he express the wish for forgiveness, he makes an act of forgiveness in this beautiful exchange between himself and the good thief. There is one near him who responds to him, who responds to this forgiveness. Of course, the chief priests, others around will be mocking him, will be jeering him, Derision will be leveled against him. And of course, one of the other thieves will, will join into that. Will mock the, the divinity of Christ, the goodness of Christ. Save us, save thyself and save us, he says, if you be God, if you be the son of God. 
But then the good thief, Dismas, is touched. He is touched by our Lord's example. Neither dost thou fear God, seeing that thou art under the same condemnation? One grace leads to another. One grace leads to another. One prayer for a soul and a conversion of a soul will lead to the conversion of another soul. We see this throughout the life of Christ. The second words of our Lord, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. We have standing around the cross of our Lord, those jeering him, those mocking him, the priests, the scribes, the others of the rabble. He saved others, himself he cannot save. The thieves join into this. But then we will see that the first words of our Lord of forgiveness become active. A grace is given, a soul responds, and little by little, one of the thieves becomes silent. He sees the goodness of Christ. He heard his words of forgiveness, his prayer for forgiveness, and his soul is touched. And he will change his tune. He'll rebuke the other thief. Neither dost thou fear God seeing that thou art under the same condemnation? Another soul has been touched, my dear faithful, in this thief. And our Lord will make him this wonderful promise. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. This is a very special thing that someone is guaranteed heaven before they die. That this, this grace of final perseverance is assured in advance. St. Augustine wittily uh, says that the good thief remained a thief until the end. He stole it during his life and in the end he stole heaven. The good thief was promised heaven in the end. He responds to that grace of our Lord in, in this darkest of hours. And as the day goes on, the sun begins to go down. There are those that depart the scene because the following day is the Sabbath. And a crowd of friends of our Lord will draw closer to the cross. Those friends of our Lord we know some of them, St. John, the Marys, and of course the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Blessed Virgin Mary is there at the foot of the cross till the end. And she had waited for this moment, expected this moment. And uh, she is about to, to lose our Lord. Wouldn't it be the first time that she lost her son for three days, three days in, in the temple. She had followed him now on this Via Dolorosa, making 
the same prayer as our Lord? She had said from the beginning of his life, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. This was part of the ex acceptance of the will of God, this pain, this suffering. There's a great void in the heart of, of Mary, but Christ will fill up that void. And our Lord will at this moment give to her other children, many, many, many other children. Son, behold thy mother, speaking to St. John. She now has many, many children that she is going to care for in us. Mother, behold thy son. And she accepts that motherhood of men who want to love Mary as a mother, a second Eve, a second mother, not of nature, but of supernature, mother through grace. Our Lord will pray to his father throughout the passion. You'll have that constant prayer for his father. And it's for this reason that this mysterious and surprising for some that are around prayer is uttered by him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Taking the words of Psalm 21. Remember, it's a psalm. It's a prayer. Our Lord is praying. He's not crying out in despair, in discouragement. He is praying. Eloi, Eloi, Lamak Sabatani. The life of our Lord certainly is a lonely life. Growing up, being the only son of, of a carpenter, or thought to be the natural son of the carpenter, in his ministry, uh, he will be alone. He will have the 12, but there'll be moments of abandonment, moments where he is alone. Saying the Gospel of St. John says it well, he came into the world and the world refused him. The world received him not. He came into his own and his own received him not. He came into Jerusalem in Jerusalem, city of King David, city of sacrifice, received him not. He prays to his father, because that's his one source of consolation, his father. He came to do the will of his father. How many times is the word father mentioned, especially in the Gospel of St. John? It's over a it's over hundred times, just in that Gospel alone, that our Lord speaks about his father. Christ is suffering great, great pain, and so he turns to the source of all hope, uh, the source of all consolation in the, the divine bosom. Among the various pains of Christ, of course, is a great thirst. Our Lord will experience, as was natural, for one that would lose so much blood, so much uh, fluid, an intense thirst. It's a horrible pain for such as he. 
and he will utter that, I thirst, says our Lord. Why does he mention thirst? There are other pains that he suffered as well. Certainly there is a natural thirst, but this speaks of something else. There's one other time in the gospel where our Lord mentions thirst, and that's with the woman at the well in Samaria. And of course, he will at that time use that thirst and uh, the image of water to speak about something higher as usual, a spiritual thirst, spiritual waters, the waters of grace. Our Lord thirsts for souls. He desires many souls to look upon him, to, to follow him. And so that's why he utters these words at this moment. We have the final words of our Lord once all is completed. Again, he thinks about his father. He thinks about his father's business. Just as he said to his parents in the temple, I must be about my father's business. That's his great concern. And so when he knows that the desire of his father has been perfectly fulfilled down to the last iota, he says it is consummated. It is consummated. It's all finished. The will of the Father is complete. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Crying with a loud voice, he says this, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. He gave up his life. It was an act of will on his part. He had the power to lay it down. He has the power to take it up. And my dear faithful, as we come to the close of the consideration of the passion, we want to see the great hope that is laid before us. The hope of the resurrection, the hope of victory, which is won through the passion of our Lord. What great love we must have for the cross, for the image of the crucifix. Every Christian must look at the crucifix and see in it victory, the victory of Christ and our own victory as well. Every Christian must look at the crucifix and see in it a deep, thick book in which is read every guide, every rule for Christian behavior. Every virtue is demonstrated there. St. Thomas, the angelic doctor, says that he obtained more wisdom from this book of the crucifix than from any other book. Interesting, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 12, he says, I will take a book and give to him that knows not numbers and say, take up and read. A very simple book for those that can't read, for those that don't even know their numbers. That's what the crucifix is. We can read so much in that book. Love the crucifix, be a lover of the cross. Be a lover of the cross. May it be the book that's always in your hands, so to speak, throughout life and especially in death. You want to be able to look at the cross in death and have your hope there. It's an amazing thought to consider that if I was the only one who had ever sinned, Christ would have died for me. He would have died for my sins. He would have given me this hope. 
O my Jesus, I thank thee for having died on the cross for my sins. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.